Tyler. I'm Danny. And this is episode 62. It is. Yes. We just went over that like five times and I still couldn't <laughs> remember it. Episode 62 of Fried Squirms. And today we're going to be covering the movie Event Horizon. And we're going to have some extra fun, extra people here in the studio. Well, person. Person, in the yeah. Studio. Special guest for us. Special guest who will be arriving here in a little bit. So we thought we'd get down to the nitty-gritty boring parts of this movie first. <laughs> we'll save the fun for when our guest arrives. Now, unfortunately, I don't think we're going to be doing a commentary as originally planned because one of our guests had to bow out. Yeah, so we'll be doing it probably a little bit more conventional. A little bit more conventional style. We're sorry for all those who were hoping for a commentary, but we'll make sure to do another one of those soon anyway. Oh, we certainly will. We can't help because but do Because we it. really had fun doing oh, the Shining man. commentary. That was a blast. I still had a lot of fun thinking about man, that. I re-listened to it the other day. It holds up. It does. It it's really up. good. I'm trying to think. Before we jump into this movie, is there anything? I, do you have anything? I did want to add, because I've forgotten to mention it for the last couple of weeks, but... Ash versus Evil Dead is back on. I have caught the first two episodes. Really good. It's just like previous seasons, kind of slow burn until towards, I would imagine, towards the end. Okay. But yeah, so far, so good. Having fun. I haven't started reading them yet, but there was a really good sale going on today. So I picked up a bunch of old horror comics. Nice. I got a bunch of the Kindle editions of a bunch of like old like tomb of dracula and werewolf by night and some shit like that so i'm pretty excited to jump into those yeah that'll be some fun reads but i think that's it let's get to the guts and bolts of this get through the boring shit so we can get to the rest yeah number 62 and bolts for event horizon from 1997 yes a joint venture of the united kingdom and the united states of america so let's see let's start with synopsis yes a sci-fi rescue mission like spaceships and shit encounters evil on a ship how does that work (laughs) i think that's very minimal but yeah it's pretty much a synopsis of what this is rescue mission aboard a Lost vessel in space. It's been gone for a bit, and it's shown back up. They gotta see if anybody's alive. Yeah. And what happened? Mm. And Think it turns out to be a very too. special yeah. ship. <laughs> Not a relationship. Very yeah. It might have a relationship. With oh, there a few are, of the characters. there are, but we'll save that. But Not no, I think the same that's... kind of relationship as Danger Boat. But no. Anyway. <laughs> All right, so that's a good synopsis. It's a brief synopsis. 1997. And with that in mind, we can go right to our director. Oh my god, I had no idea that this was a Paul W.S. Anderson movie. Certainly is. Because this is one of these... Okay, so 1997, this movie popped on my radar. I probably haven't seen it since, I'd say maybe 99. Oh, that's probably a good guess for me too. Around the late, like super late 90s. 99, 2000. And so that's before I started like remembering directors and shit. Yeah, that's... I think I still was kind of, eh, on that. Paul W.S. Anderson is kind of, he has 
quite a big filmography. He does. He has uh, some really interesting films to his credit. Very interesting. Things that franchises that lasted far longer than they probably ever should have. Right. So here's some interesting <laughs> things. I'll start with some of his really early credits. His first really major credit was Shopping, which has a few of our actors in it. He got some notoriety on that film, which led him to do a video game turned movie. Mortal Kombat. Yes, from 1995. I loved that movie. It's really entertaining, man. It's I love the entire cast. Like, Mortal Kombat mythology. I get down on like every Mortal Kombat game that comes out. It's been a while for I me, to but watch they are fun. Damn. Yeah, dude. Yeah, I just I've always loved all the stupid lore. So even though the movie's kind of shit, I loved that movie, especially when I was little. Yeah, <laughs> Number it's, two it's, is it's pretty shit strong. through and through, though. Fuck that movie. <laughs> Killing Johnny Cage like ten minutes in. Fuck you. Yeah, but Paul W. S. Anderson had nothing to do with that. So yeah, and that has yeah exactly it had nothing to do with him. All right, so because of those two films, on the backbone of the fact that Mortal Kombat had like a $20 million budget, raked in about $120 million in the box office. So he got to do a project at his kind of freedom. He was given an opportunity to film the X-Men movie. And there was one other film, I can't remember right off the top of my head, but he turned both of those films down because they were PG-13. And he wanted to do something a lot more dark. He kind of wanted to lean towards sci-fi and horror so anyhow he got a script from paramount written by philip eisner and he read it he liked it he had some concepts you know of course going into it and long story short got to film this film pretty liberally i mean we'll get into finer details what happened later on with this film but anyhow this film along with uh, like future films he did soldier which was i think a film I with kurt russell love soldier it is a uh, kurt russell movie it's kind of like Universal Soldier, to be completely honest. <laughs> yeah. But there's neat little Easter eggs in it where it's actually set in the Blade Runner universe. Oh, shit. No doubt. There's like references when they show like all the shit that Kurt Russell's character was involved in and all like the different fucking battles and shit. There's like references in there to, to different Blade Runner things. And yeah, it's weird. But huh. I, I dig the movie quite a bit. Well, there's cool. also, if I remember right, he, he participated... I think in squashing the Montana insurrection. Huh. In that, that's one of the things on his record. That's kind of <laughs> neat. <laughs> All right. So with those films, he went on to do some video game adaptations once again with the Resident Evil series. And he's done like what? All Resident Evil, Afterlife, Retribution, Has The he Final Chapter. Like almost all of them? I want to say just about every single one of them. Now, he also went on to do Alien vs. Predator, which... It I kind of dug it. I'm not going to lie. I'll put it this way. It swings kind of in both ways, like very drastically. Like either people really hate it or really love it. It's one of those films. Now, also, though, I haven't seen it since it came out. Yeah, it's been I a might, hot minute I might since be I've watched a it. Bit more critical of it these days but well we tend to be <laughs> when it came out man i, I kind of dug that movie nice so uh, yeah he went on to do death race i think in 2008 uh, with jason statham and some others he also did the three musketeers the movie pompeii monster hunter which is an announced film that he's uh, i suppose going to be directing so those are some of the movies that mr anderson has directed our writer, I did mention Philip Eisner. Now, he's also worked on uh, projects such as Firestarter 2, Rekindled, which was a TV miniseries. He also went on to do The Mutant Chronicles. And a really interesting name now, this is kind of a big draw, which I believe was also the first person to sign on to this project, is our cinematographer, who is Adrian Biddle. 
And Adrian Bill has done some amazing films. And I want to list off a few of them. We'll start with a little franchise known as Alien. He was the DP for Aliens. He also was a DP for The Princess Bride. Who hasn't seen that? I'd love that movie. <laughs> right? Willow, one of like another fantastic film from the 80s. He was a DP on Thelma Louise, another huge film. He was also the DP for City Slickers 2. The Sylvester Stallone, Judge Dredd. He also was the DP for 101 and 102 Dalmatians. The film The Mummy. I think The Mummy Returns as well. The World is Not Enough, Reign of Fire, Shanghai Nights, and V for Vendetta. I really dig Reign of Fire. I know we've talked about that before. It is a really good film. Man. I want somebody to remake that movie with the exact same cast. They could. Just like updated, tweak the story a little bit. Yeah. Maybe a different director, tweak some of the details. But I think it's a viable movie. It's really and good. And to this day, a viable cast. Fucking fantastic cast. McConaughey. Yeah. Butler. Bale. Bale. Yeah. What the hell? <laughs> <laughs> fighting uh, dragons yeah it was it's pretty awesome i know we're pumping up but go check it out all right our editor on this film is martin hunter martin hunter was the editor on films such as full metal jacket california with radolf pittler <laughs> and david the company some others also on the film mortal Kombat, the arrival soldier underworld the chronicles of riddick and white out just some credits to his name Music was composed by Michael Kamen. Now, ooh, ooh, huge Michael Kamen fucking name. jumps out to me in a big bad way. Now, I didn't realize just how many movie credits he has to his name until I had to look up his credits. It's unbelievable. So I realize now that people probably ha- knew of Michael Kamen. Way I didn't write any down me. because I referenced it back to the the database. It's like there's too many to name. Michael Kamen, I first came into contact with because. I'm a giant Metallica fan. Nice. And he helped arrange the song Nothing Else Matters on the Black Album. No doubt. And he was the conductor for the San Francisco Symphony Orchestra at the time that Metallica made the S&M album. That's pretty awesome. I didn't know that. So that's when I first came into contact with him. And then I remember going to the theater not very long after listening to S&M for the first time and being like, Oh, this Michael Kamen cat is awesome. Yeah. And being like, oh, he did the music for the first X-Men movie. <laughs> awesome. And then I just looked at his fucking Wikipedia page. The whole, like, composing and arranging and, like, working with big-name rock stars has been his gig for a while. This dude helped arrange shit on the wall. No kidding. Wow. Holy shit. That's amazing, dude. And, like, worked with people that who would also go on to do wow. big things. One of his friends from, like, art school was the guy that ended up doing the theme for the X-Files. No shit. But, oh, geez, he's worked with, like, like I mentioned Pink Floyd, Aerosmith, Bon Jovi, Tom Petty, <laughs> David Bowie, Queensryche, Rush, Eurythmics, Dang. Herbie Hancock, Jim Croce, Coldplay, Sting, Guns N' Roses... Man, that's unbelievable. And I'm skipping over people when I'm Well, of course, like I said, his like, credits are unbelievable. That's why I, there were too many for me to write down. And then we got scores for things like <laughs> Dead Zone, Brazil, Wow, uh, Three Musketeers, Highlander, X-Men, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves with nice. Kevin Costner, yeah. the first three Diehards, Iron Giant, which Jesus, that's a I think until maybe... Film. Guardians of the Galaxy was Vin Diesel's highest grossing movie. I Let's not that. forget he was the voice of the giant. Yeah. Fuck Wally. Nice. We just talked about Sigourney Weaver being on Wally. And it actually came on last night. I almost watched it. 
Unfortunately, I believe what year did he pass? He passed in two thousand three. Ah, oh, shit. So I wasn't. Too I remember long being after pretty. Film, yeah, yeah, I remember being pretty bummed out by that because, like I said, he was one of those guys. Like he was one of the first like composers that I knew. That yeah, that you actually paid attention to. That says a lot, man. Because if you you look throughout his credits, it makes perfect sense why you would latch onto that. What I can say about Michael Kamen in this film was that I knew from watching some of the behind the scenes and whatnot, he had got together with a 30-piece orchestra, and I guess he had bought this old theater, and basically they composed music in there with like an eight-track recorder, and the other people that helped compose the music was the band Orbital, which are composed of two brothers from uh, the United Kingdom. They collaborated together because they're more known for like EDM, their techno beats and whatnot. And so they brought a little bit more, I guess, modern style music into like a more orchestra set. So long story short, those two combined together, composed the music for this. And what a great job they did. Really good. All right. So moving on from our music, we have special effects. Now, there's quite a few studios that worked on this, and I think they all did a really good job. So starting with the first one I have written down is AMX Studios Limited. They helped with the video graphics design. They were also known as AMX Digital. Animated Extras, they did the makeup effects. Computer Film Company, they were part of like some of the extra visual effects in this film. FBFX were also a part of this. Image Animation, they helped with prosthetics and animatronics. There are some really interesting things I want to talk about later on with the animatronics, some really cool shit that leads back into a film that you and I have covered not too uh, long ago, actually. Okay. Yeah, this is really cool. The Magic Camera Company, they help with motion control photography. Mass Illusions were another effects team. Real Eye Company, they help with the special effects contact lens which were used as prosthetics for a couple of characters in this film. Okay. Yeah, and so that's a part of all of the special effects team. A lot of people, too, involved in this project with special effects as far as names. So moving on from those, we have our producers Lawrence Gordon, Lloyd Levin, and Jeremy Bolt. Our production companies are Golar Productions, Impact Pictures, and Paramount Pictures, distributed by Paramount Pictures. The box office had an estimated $60 million budget. It's pretty steep especially when you count inflation for today's market it was like 90 million dollars for this fucking film it's unreal man i i can see it though this well yeah it's a big project bonanza, man well i think you're gonna like what i tell you where they filmed it at too so all right they had a 60 million dollar budget their opening weekend here in the states uh, back on august 17th 1997 they made like 9.5 million they grossed domestically $26.7 million. When you factor in the worldwide gross, was like 20.4. So collectively, not even 50. Oof. Oof. Yeah, they took a little bit of a hit for that. But when you counter in like DVD sales and, you know, Blu-ray and shit like that. So they made back not probably all their money, but they've grown a, a big cult status. Because it didn't really do well in the, in the theaters. They might now be making back their money on it. Yeah. I mean, it took a while. But, uh, all right. Anyhow, the release date was August 15th, 1997 here in the States. And August 22nd, 1997 in the United Kingdom in Ireland. The tagline for this film is a part of the poster. It's infinite space and infinite terror. Okay. I kind of like Pretty it. Pretty simple. Straight to the point. Alright, so that's um, our behind the scenes. Let's talk about some of the cast members in this ooh, film. Great cast. Oh, it does. Great it's got cast. 
probably a name in it that we'll talk about like probably several times in the future, but one in particular that we've already talked about for like almost a month. We're talking about Lawrence, don't call me Larry, oh. Fishburne. Yeah, Morpheus is in this movie about two years before he's Morpheus. Yeah, and there's a really interesting story about how he felt like this film helped him prepare for The Matrix, and he called Paul Anderson and thanked him for like all the wire training they had to do for that shit. Oh, yeah, because he does have a couple scenes on wires for sure in this movie. Yeah, oh yeah. There's a lot of that going on, but all right, so I'll write down a couple of credits because he's got a really kick-ass list of films he's done so he plays captain miller in this film some of his filmography that he's really known for is apocalypse now his role in that he was in the color purple he was in nightmare on elm street part three the dream warriors he was cowboy curtis in Wee's playhouse he was in the films uh boys in the hood the film higher learning we talked about the matrix trilogies he was also part of predators he was on csi the television shows Hannibal, which we covered for almost a month, and the film Contagion. So that's some of the films that I wrote down for him. And of course, he's been in a lot more films. One interesting film, which he shares with another actor in this film, it's called What's Love Got to Do With It? It's about Ike and Tina Turner. Mm -hmm. Now, Lawrence Fishburne played the older Ike, and another actor played the the younger Ike. (laughs) I'll mention him in a little bit, because there's only one other actor that could have done it. Right. Who I was really excited to see in this movie, actually. Really but, good actor, man. Uh, but first, let's go on. So to the big next big draw. The next big draw is uh, Dr. Alan Grant. Yeah. <laughs> Who is better known for that role in Jurassic <laughs> Park, if you haven't seen that? Who hasn't uh, seen that? Sam Neill. Yeah, come on. Sam Neill, of course. All right, so Sam Neill, interesting guy, born in Ireland, raised in New Zealand. Yeah, so Damien Thorne. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's good. <laughs> who plays Dr. William Billy Weah in this film. Man, he's a really interesting actor. He's played a lot of really cool roles. He's known for like his television work on the old series called Riley, Ace of Spies. He went on to do films like The Hunt for Red October. He was in The Piano. We just talked about Jurassic Park, and he returned for Jurassic Park 3. Dude, I've been getting down on Peaky Blinders on Netflix, and he's in the first it's two seasons. It's a good fucking show, Campbell, man. Yeah. Uh, C.I. Campbell. And I mean, he's a fucking despicable character, but he is. He does but he amazing, nails it, man. Does an amazing job. I would highly recommend that show too. It's a really good fucking show. All right, now he's done some horror in films like In the Mouth of Madness, which is a uh, Lovecraft inspired. Yeah, it's really fucking wild. Then he went on to do lighter things like The Jungle Book. <laughs> he was also in Bicentennial Man. He was in the show The Two Doors. You talked about Peaky Blinders. He was also in a film that kind of got some really good press with Hunt for the Wilder People. Oh, yeah, by yeah. Taika Waititi. Yeah, man. I think it's a New Zealand film, too, if not mistaken. Right, right. Well, yeah. That's the guy that did uh, What We Do in the Shadows. Yeah, you're right. That's pretty awesome. That's a good and film, too. And, of course, too. Thor Jesus Ragnarok. Christ. Yeah, I was about to mention that. That's, like, the more recent, so... Sam Neill really does a, a good fucking job in this film, man. All right, so moving on from those two main ones, we've got two female actresses I want to talk about in this film. Uh, Julie Richardson. Yes, she plays Lieutenant Stark. You might have seen her in the television series Nip Tuck. You might have also seen her in The Two Doors. She was in 101 Dalmatians. Uh, f- I think of her in The Patriot. Yeah, I was going to say, that was my next credit. She's in The Patriot. She was also in the film Return to Me. She was in Anonymous. 
the girl with the dragon tattoo. That's the. I'm not sure which. It wasn't the Swedish version. I think it was right, maybe the, the states. The state one. Yeah, she was also an Express Love, Maggie in the film Snowden. The other actress in this film is Kathleen Quinlan. She plays Peters, who is the med tech. I want to go back to Jolie. Did I mention she plays Lieutenant Stark? I can't remember if I did. Yeah, yeah. Okay. There's a lot of names. Just want to make sure. There it is. Yes. Kathleen Quinn, she plays Peter. She's the med tech on this film. You might have seen her in projects like Never Promise You a Garden. She was in Apollo 13, which I think is probably her more well-known film that she's been a part of. She's also been in the uh, the movie Apollo. Airport from 1977. Well, an American Graffiti, of course. Oh, that's a good film. That's uh, Ron Howard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she was in The Promise, The Runner the, Stumbles. The Doors movie. Yeah, that's another big one. Sunset, she's been in Clara's Heart. Yeah, they uh, said The, the Doors. Have Eyes remake. Yeah, she was also in Prison Break and Stargate Universe. A Horns with uh, Harry Potter. Yeah, Daniel Radcliffe. She was in Breakdown. She was in Breach. Yeah, she's been in some really cool projects, man. She's a good actress. I think she does like a really good emotional acting. That's about as far as I'll go with that. We've got some big names coming up, too, because I think they're known for some of their more recent work. The first guy I've got written down is Jason Isaacs, who plays... Who I also think of in The Patriot. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. He is DJ, the medical doctor in this film. He was in a lot of Anderson's projects. The first one he was in was Shopping. He moved on to do films like Dragonheart, Armageddon. He was in Soldier, which is another Anderson film. He was in The Patriot, we just mentioned. I've seen him in films like Black Hawk Down. He's a part of the Resident Evil movie. I think he did some voice acting in that. He was also in films like, uh, I don't know, maybe Harry Potter. <laughs> I think he plays Malfoy in that. Oh, I don't remember who he plays. Yeah, it's, I don't really keep up with it. I know that's probably saying some bad shit. <laughs> He's been in a lot of those Harry Potter films. He was also in Peter Pan, which is a film that we had mentioned because Jeremy Sumter from Frailty was Peter Pan in that film. All right. He's also been in Oh, the Highlander with Jackie Chan. Yeah. <laughs> he was in Electra. He was in Fury. Yeah, I said the Highlander, the series, and also I had it written down for Star Trek Discovery. So he's been in some really cool projects. Next big name I have written down is Sean Pertwee. Who's plays Smith, uh, the possibly most famous for being the son of the third doctor in Doctor Who. Damn, yeah. <laughs> That's pretty interesting. Uh, his father is one of my favorite doctors. That's awesome. And he actually looks quite a bit like his dad. I kind of hope they find some way to bring back the third Doctor with Sean playing. They could be. You never know. Anyway. (laughs) Okay, so Sean has also been a a part of a lot of Anderson projects. He was also in the film Shopping. He was also in the film Soldier. He was in a film. I'm going to skip over this credit because it's, yeah. All right. But he was in a Christian Bell film called Equilibrium. You might have seen it. I really dig that movie. I really dig that movie, actually. I have not seen it. I know what it's about. I heard it's a lot like Gun-Cod The Matrix. Is the shit. Yeah. Gun Cod is the shit. That's all I'm going to say. I'll check it um, out. He's Alfred in Gotham. Yeah. Which I apparently need to get caught up on, because apparently it's gotten so bonkers that it's gotten good. He's also a part of the television series Elementary. He was in the film The Dream Begins. He was also part of The Two Doors. He was in a film that we both enjoy, Doomsday. So yeah, this is some of Sean's credits. One of the guys we talked about kind of alluding to him because he would be the only other person who could portray a younger Lawrence Fishburne slash Ike Turner. <laughs> be Richard T. Jones. Yeah, and he plays Cooper, our rescue tech. I was tech really excited to see this. Now, this sort of ties into what my life's been been going like lately because lately I realized that on Hulu is all of ER. Oh, nice. Yeah. Now, I used to 
get down on a lot of VR. And what would happen is that every morning when I'd wake up before I'd go to work while I was living at home, I would wake up, and just the time I'd naturally wake up at, there'd be two episodes of VR and then an episode of Judging Amy. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> I, Who I'm guilty of watching he was that. on for six years. Yeah. So every morning, five days a week, wow. for quite a long time, That's awesome. I'd wake up, watch two episodes of VR and an episode of Judging Amy, and see Richard T. Jones in the Judging Amy portion of it. I've been getting down on a lot of ER. Probably going to start watching Judging Amy again, too, if it's on there. So That's pretty cool, man. I do have some credits written down for him. Oh, uh, the wood. <laughs> I did mention he was in What's Love Got to Do With It. He was also in the film Jury Duty. Okay. Oh, I do want to point out the other thing is the first time I ran into him, though, mm-hmm. would have been one of my favorite movies of all time is 1994's Renaissance Man with Danny DeVito. Oh, that's pretty cool. And he's uh, Corporal Jackson Leroy. I almost was going to say that you were going to say the film Soul Plane. No. Because <laughs> he is in Soul Plane. But he was also in like some really cool films. He was in a David Arquette film called John's, which I highly recommend. It's kind of a weird indie film. Uh, he was also in the film Kiss the Girls, the, phone, uh, the movie Phone Booth. He was a part of the film Collateral, Why Did I Get Married and Why Did I Get Married 2. He's in Godzilla. Hear No Evil, he was a part of the American Horror Story, the hotel season. He was also in the film Vantage Point. So so those are some of the products of Mr. Jones. I have Mr. Jack Noseworthy. He plays Justin, the ensign in this film. He, Ooh, he uh, plays Baby Bear. Right. I probably best remember him from U571, I would think. Hmm. There is one film in particular I really do remember him from. Because I watched it a lot in the 90s, and that film... Maybe Idle Hands? Is Idle Hands. Yeah, I watched that film a lot in the 90s. Ooh, maybe Undercover Brother. <laughs> yeah, he was also in the Brady Bunch, the movie. That's true. You might have recognized him from a little film starring Mrs. Pamela Anderson in the film Barbed Barb Wire. Wire. <laughs> I have watched Barbed Wire. Yeah. He was also in the film Cecil B. Demented, which is a really cool film. He was also in Judging Amy with Mr. Jones. He was in the, I think, the television movie Killing Kennedy and also The Secret Life of Marilyn Monroe. So those are some of the more well-known films. I do want to mention two more. He was also in the film Encino Man. That might have been the first time I'd seen him, to be honest, because of Polly Shore. And he was also in the film Alive. So those are some of the other credits I have. Moving on from Mr. Noseworthy, we have Peter Marinker. He plays Captain John Kilpack. He was in some pretty cool films. I had a few written down. He was in the film Nightbreed. So this guy is barely in it, by the way. Yeah, barely in it. Uh, Just keep that in mind. But he, like I said, he had some roles in Nightbreed, the film Judge Dredd, United 93, and he's also done a lot of television and video game voicing. Yeah, I mean, all you Dark Souls, Demon Souls fans, he's done voices in that. A lot of video games. Noah Huntley, he plays Edmund Crick, another person who's barely in this film. Plays an important role a little bit later on in the film. Now, he's done films such as 28 Days Later, pretty dope-ass film. He was in The Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch, and the Road Robe. The Chronic What Calls of Narnia. Narnia, that's just, oh my gosh, that's too funny. He was also in Your Highness, which is a pretty decent film. (laughs) He was in Skylab. He was also in a Sigourney Weaver film. And I think we also... Was was Thor in this film? Snow White and the Huntsman? 
Oh, Hemsworth? shit. I, maybe. I, I never he, did watch I it. I think he might have been. I didn't either. I think you're right. <laughs> All right. And he was also in the film Dracula Untold. The next actress I have written down, she plays the wife of Dr. Weir, Sam Neill. She plays Claire Weir, and this is Holly Chant. You might have seen Holly in the film The Crow, City of Angels. She's also done a lot of uh, television work, and she's also done a lot of video game voice acting as well. Barclay Wright, he plays Denny Peters. He's the little son of Mrs. Peters, Kathleen Quinlan's character. He was in Diana, Her True Story, which is a television-made movie, and Jake's Progress and Midnight Flight. I've never seen any of those. Robert Jezik, he plays a rescue tech, which is like briefly in this. Uh, yeah. But very, I did write him down brief. for a very well-known reason. We talked about Doctor Who. He was in Doctor Who in 1989. He's done some stuff with some projects like Death Machine, Formula 51, Casino Royale, and he's done a lot of television work as well. So, Not that he has a lot of time in this film, but he's got some really cool credits. But that rounds out the cast and crew that I have written down. Let's see. Warnings. warnings. Oh, God. There's some really, really good gore in this movie. There but is. most of the super good gore is literally in like half-second shots. Quick uh, sequences, yeah. Very, very quick. But, oh, it sounds like our guest has Ooh, arrived. Okay, uh, we're going to... So I'll keep giving the, uh, giving the warning while Danny goes and brings him in. But... Oh, there's good gore, there's nudity, there's language, themes pertaining to hell and torture and just not good things happening all around to people. I think that's good. We're going to go greet our guest and get set up for this next portion where we're going to jump straight into the how does this make you squeal. God, what's happening to me? God, where am I? Why am I hearing these things? Oh God, what, what's going on? Oh Jesus, come on! Oh my God, what's what's going on? Where where am I? Oh gee, why why? Come on, somebody, somebody! Ah, come on, come on, come on, come on, somebody! Sir, come on, somebody, somebody's there. Somebody's got to be there. I will shock you. Come on, sir, come on, sir, you must listen to me. Sir, I only have one question. How does that make you squeal? Alright, we're back. Our guest has arrived. Hello. We're going to get into how it makes us all squeal. Yay! <laughs> it being Event Horizon. But yeah. first, maybe a little bit of an introduction. Because in some ways, our in-studio guest today has been a member from the get-go. Behind uh, our own genius... We rested it upon what we knew what we needed from the get-go was a theme song. And as we've pointed out a couple times, our buddy Justin here has come through <laughs> with both the first and second versions of our theme. Happily, uh, too. As well as the next time we do a Test Your Fright, he's given us a little theme for that, which you'll hear probably within the next couple months when we do another one. And is also behind a lot of the stuff that you hear in Jafar, if you guys have popped over and checked out those videos since we've pimped them a couple times. Yeah, so Justin to the show. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for the invitation. Yeah, you've sort of been the third squirm since the get-go, oh. and all these other posers have, have fucking I jumped on. I felt something special. Now I know. All these oh, other geez. posers have jumped on after you. That's you, right. You, oh, wow. you were fundamental to the building of this. Awesome. We needed a theme. I feel honored. You provided. Thank you. That's right. I mean, you were there when we were just like little seedlings. <laughs> and now, now look at us. Yeah, man. We're... 62 You're episodes full, in. Yeah, full grown like solid oak trees now. Yeah, wow. man. Yeah. 
Told you I have hard work. Raining acorns. <laughs> <laughs> we have a really good episode. I know that this is one well, that you requested we've this talked episode. about. Right? I, did, I did request it. This is uh, goes this... back to ch- well, childhood. It goes back to early teenage years. Yeah. And well, it sits with me. Before we get to this movie, let's go with like we do with the rest of our guests. Besides this movie, sort of what's your entry into horror movies? Like how much of a part of your childhood slash through now have they been? What were your first entries? That oh, yeah. sort of thing. That's a great question. Definitely when I was younger, you know, 10, 11, 12, I got interested in these types of movies. Luckily, my parents were okay with me renting them, VHS, of course, in those days. <laughs> nice, yeah. Um, and they did. Uh, I remember it started with It. I was sick. Uh, I remember I stayed home from school. My mom felt bad. I was like, what do you want to do? And I tried reading the book, but the teacher took it away and thought it was too much for me in third grade. She's <laughs> probably partially right, but still, I would love to have read the book anyhow. And instead, I decided that I'd want to watch it because I found it was a TV show that had been aired and that it was rentable at the Blockbuster. Nice. Made it Blockbusters rest in peace. Um, <laughs> and my mom agreed. So, yeah, went and watched that was with uh, it as the first one. It was great. Um, it scared me shitless. Yeah. Which we have covered earlier. And I think it's interesting, too, because it's for, I think some people in our age group, our demographic, that could have been a more accessible one at an earlier age because it was a part of a miniseries mm-hmm. and uh, it was pretty big too. It was well known because of, like I said, the age group and people that were involved with the project as well. So, yeah, yeah so, I think what maybe Sean, I think he said that was like one of his first entries, I believe. Right. Uh, and Stephen King in general was yeah. one of Patrick's, oh, Patrick's first entries. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. so I feel like I'm like the only one not on this bus where <laughs> fucking it came later for me, but yeah. No, I mean, which was cool because, you know, with that particular film, it aired on my birthday, the first half of it, back when it was like... Oh, the better half? Yeah, <laughs> yeah the good half. What's up? The good half? Yeah, the good <laughs> But it was fun, man. You know, that was one also that stuck with me, so it's cool that it yeah. was one that you got familiar with. Now, yeah. what were some other ones? So Stephen King went down that rabbit hole, you could say, which Stephen King's a very large rabbit hole that's still continually growing. Jesus, yeah. Um, Oh, even more so lately. Oh, yeah. Uh, I don't want to get too much off track, but did you guys see the Castle Rock trailer? I have. I haven't. Oh, my God. We'll check that out afterwards because okay, cool. it looks dope. Kind of just like all the Stephen King universe colliding in one town. Ooh. Nice. It's like, wow. Yeah, so I went down the rabbit hole, Pet Cemetery. It had to be, you know, the next one. <laughs> that also scared me, too. Luckily, at the time, I didn't have any pets. <laughs> That's probably a good thing, is, yeah. Yeah, that, yeah, I couldn't imagine trying to go to bed, you know. Oh, my God, the dog's going to go crazy on me. So it was Pet Cemetery, and then did other things like uh, Pumpkinhead, nice. Leprechaun, and kind of in that <coughs> vein of movies. Right. And then right around maybe 13 or 14, it kind of, Event Horizon kicked in when I was 13. Okay. That was kind of the pinnacle. I had never been scared more. And also, funny enough, wasn't just, I'd already been into the horror film, but it was kind of my introduction to the sci-fi films. I never really watched a sci-fi film. I cool. necessarily, we'll probably talk about this later, I wouldn't necessarily call Event Horizon pure sci-fi film in any sense, but it has aspects of it. And that was does. kind of the first little dabble into it. Yeah, and then, to be honest, I I just watch movies that interest me. So I didn't really pick genres, so in my late teens all the way up till now, if it interests me, then I'll watch it. Yeah, Some I'll of them just... have been horror movies. Right. Some haven't, yeah. But you're pretty flexible with the cinema that you watch. It's not like oh, you're yeah. just, yeah, you know, you're just, if it's good, you'll watch it. Yeah, exactly, if it... Something tickles your fancy? Tickles my fancy, yeah. Mm, that does tickle my fancy. I think I will see that. Monocle, top hat, here we go. <laughs> Very nice. Cool. So now, oh yeah, as we already said, this was your pick. This was the pinnacle for you. Oh yes. 
So, lead us, sir. What do you want to talk about this movie? How uh, I came across it? Yeah, that would oh, be a better story. do that. Yeah. Yeah. Story. So, I did not ever remember being in the cinema. So, I never remember seeing commercials for it in 97 when it came out. I do remember specifically how old I was because I was still going to shul, synagogue, in layman's terms. <laughs> not Yiddish terms. So, I was still going to synagogue, and it was my friend Ben. When he's hanging out, he goes, we'll watch a movie. And he's like, I've already seen this. Scared me shitless. Great. <laughs> nice. My parents were okay with it. So we went and rented the movie Event Horizon. And I remember it had to have been winter, spring of 98. So, uh, you know, I just got done with my bar mitzvah in the fall. Nice. Feeling pretty manly. Yeah, I can Ooh. handle horror films. I just had my bar mitzvah. I'm 13. Shit, you know? Yeah. Should be fine. <laughs> I was not okay with the movie because it was frightening. Absolutely frightening. <laughs> and there you are in the living room. You know, your parents are in their bedroom, next off, off the living room, and you know, the door's open or something, and you're just sitting there, like, scared. Like, you're going to crap yourself. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and your parents are right there walking back and forth to the kitchen. I was just sitting there watching horrific things on the screen. But as I was saying, it was also interesting to me. It was scary, but it also had the sci-fi aspect to it, which kind of got me on that route. So, yeah, thank you, Event Horizon, for starting my sci-fi enjoyment. Nice. Um, nice. Yeah, let me see. Shit. Well, what was the thing that most terrified you? I mean, and, and don't be afraid. Of spo- this is the spoiler section. Yeah, so you, you can, can go. Oh, you can, wonderful. I can just... This is what we do. Yeah, yeah. Like, this oh, is what we, we do. Give, we can well, go all out, too. So Yeah, I highly doubt someone's going to be coming on here to try to find out about a movie they've never seen before. You, you know, would, that's already I mean, 20 years old. Um, <laughs> oh, my God. This movie is fucking 20 years old yes, now, it is. isn't it? Jesus yeah. Christ. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like it's almost my, old enough. This, for the audience members out there, let's see if you can age this correctly. If it's 20 years old and I saw this after my bar mitzvah, how old would that make me? <laughs> <laughs> That's for our mathematicians yeah. who are listening. <laughs> what scared me shitless, uh, to be honest, it was probably that first corpse that she bumps into when she's looking the I can't remember all the characters' names. She's okay. going through scanning out the area, finding nothing, and turns around and then bam, Yeah, there's that lacerated corpse. Yeah, exactly. Eyes are all busted up and she calls it a corpsicle. Um, funny enough, because it was very cold in there and frozen. But that was the part that just got me going. And I guess the reason for this, why I still find it frightening when I watch this, not the same degree as I was younger, is because this isn't CG. They Actually There's a lot had a of real practical effects there, right? you know. So you look, it was real. It's mm-hmm. tangible in a sense. And yeah. you can tell when things are CG. In that movie, yes. I, now, at the time, 97. I was about to say, that is top quality for 97. I just watched it yesterday to catch up on it again, and I'm somewhat impressed. Yeah, I was impressed too. Yeah. A couple of my notes are literally like some of the. CG bodies look like. Do you guys remember what Sam Jackson looked like in Deep Blue Sea when he got? <laughs> oh <attacked>? yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, most definitely. But it was kind of an innovator too. One thing I can kind of spoil about were some of the storm clouds they used for the outside of this, you know, like aircrafts, the spaceships. Oh. That was really it was included, of course, because <laughs> where are they going to get that inside of a, a studio? Is where they filmed a lot of this. So. The introduction, as far as that aspect, was used in a lot of future sci-fi slash horror films as well. So they were kind of an innovator in terms of using clouds and storms and things of that nature for the outside, exterior. It's kind of, being that it's 97, it, it's kind of that transitional period is where a lot of horror films, CG usage wasn't as big, so they were exactly. still using, for the most part, like full-out like models or makeup artists doing things. It was tangible items that were being built. 
you know, not necessarily on the same degree as Jim Henson films, <laughs> right? You know, right. <laughs> but it was still being done, and this is that transitional period where you're seeing CG, but it's not overtaking the film as it would two years later with the first uh, installment of the Star Wars. Oh yeah, where so it was basically point. all CG two years later, or at least you could do it all CG. So I really like the fact that this stands for me also as a transitional period from that props to mostly doing computer graphics. Yeah. Uh-huh. I'd be curious to see how many props from this movie were later reused. Because they reuse props all the time, like oh, movie yeah. to movie that, and shit. That's how the band Green Jello got all their gear. Yeah. <laughs> that's pretty funny. <laughs> um, but there was a lot of really good props across this entire everything. Like, both ships, the insides were awesome. Oh, yeah. the, the costumes oh, the and spacesuits and everything were great. It wouldn't be hard to take any piece from any one of them and, and continue to reuse them in any number of sci-fi movies. Well, precisely. They put a lot of effort in considering the time that they had to shoot this film. The time that it was greenlit to the time that they had to principal photography uh, was like in 10 weeks. Titanic had to get pushed back. That was like Paramount's big blockbuster they were waiting for the summer, but because of the delays, it had to get pushed back until like that winter. So this is why Anderson kind of took the role too as far as director but making a long story short there there's a lot of things in it that felt kind of rushed as far as what oh, yes. they had to do yes. and editing and this film was actually intentionally supposed to be a lot more gory and a lot more things as far as storylines were supposed to be told it was i think it had an initial cut of like two hours oh. ten minutes the movie jumps right in i mean the first thing they get to the ship and then they're exploring it and then you have Justin, who goes off to the gravity drive core right, area. Right, right. And right away, the thing opens up, and he gets sucked in. And that's the first, well, he's not necessarily he's killed, per se, but that's the first kind of event that lets you realize something's messed up. Oh, yes, because it sets off. And the plot's going, boom, right, there it is. And it's maybe 10 minutes in, 15 minutes in, so you knew it was going to be like, bang, bang, bang. This stuff's getting going. Yeah, there are fast. a lot of quick beats. Which is interesting, too, because the as far as the, the ensemble of... The characters on board there's not a huge cast so these people got to work every day on set you know got familiar with how the lines and how they can improvise their lines and things like that so it felt more like they said kind of like a theater production more as opposed to being like on a set of a television series or a film where you have a lot of extras that come in it's like it's just them basically oh, on yeah. board so it did have elements of like the alien movie cast where everybody had you know their own personalities they could develop their personalities over time and you were talking about props and stuff, too. If you look at Jason Isaacs, the guy who plays the doctor, mm-hmm. <laughs> if you look at, like, the vest and stuff that he's wearing, he wanted to have all these props, and then he learned later on that he had to have some kind of functional use for them because he had to wear them every fucking day. <laughs> and he said, he, he kind of complained a little bit. He's like, uh, he's like, why did you let me choose all these props? <laughs> he's like, I have to do something with them. So I thought it was kind of, you know, funny that they got to develop their character as opposed to just kind of being really quick in and out of, you know, scenes. That time to bond with each other is what I'm getting at. Yeah. The fact that they were kind of given reign to sort of all develop their characters sort of makes, like, one of my small gripes with this movie make a little bit more sense. Right. Because I kind of felt like the crew's introductory scene, like, ten minutes <laughs> into the movie, yeah. seemed like they all had to say something clever when the camera came over to them. Yeah. And I was like, oh, maybe one of you's the clever one, but this is an ensemble cast. Come yeah, on, exactly. everybody else fall into a role. Like, yeah. It reminded me, you are just talking about how they kind of built on that aliens type of crew. Mm-hmm. I had that feeling a bit, is that 
with their dialogue initially with the crew, you get the sense that they're kind of, they're professionals, but they're a bit informal, like ruffians type of thing. Yeah. Same with the aliens crew. So I didn't necessarily get that sense of professionalism in the crew. Right. Then that makes But they were sense. going for it. Yeah. Kind of like rogue people that know how to work together. Exactly. They felt like they had been together for some time and they were maybe, I won't say used to these kind of things that they were doing, but they had been on missions before and... That's kind of the sense that they're, they're kind of building. is like they've done this before without it feeling, like I said, overly done or putting way too much into the character, overly doing it. There's definitely a few of those lines. but Oh, yeah, some of the lines are... That's, uh... You that's, know, they ham it up a little bit. It's 1997, you know? It's a product of its time. Which I think it's, it's kind of funny, too, because I got to listen to some of the commentary from the director and one of the producers, and they talked about it, too. There's like There was parts of it where they intentionally wrote in like bits of humor just to kind of dampen some of the more kind of like intense moments in the film, some of the stuff that you actually see in those flashes mm. during some of the sequences without giving too much away right now. Can I get like a three-hour cut where each one of those flashes is like ten minutes? Because those were the most interesting parts of the wow. movie. But yeah. even if they were each like twice as long as they are, I think it would be more impactful. But then I started thinking time period. Like 1997, you're yeah. not going to hold on gore for that long. No, not no, in no. what was trying to be more mainstream of a movie. <laughs> Given you, the budget, can you get yeah. a higher rating than R due to oh, that? Oh yes. So that's interesting you bring up. So when they were starting to make their initial cuts and giving it back to the studio, <laughs> they were constantly getting an NC-17, which in terms of like getting it to the the motion picture that or the box it. office, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a death knell. So they had to keep cutting back, and a lot of it was those sequences, the gore, some of the pacing, those kind of tidbits. So they did cut back, but they said it was interesting because the rush they had to do, they said they didn't get time to kind of gloss that stuff over and build more story into it. They were just kind of abrupt, more like alluding to those facts as opposed to actually giving you backstory to why that shit was going on. You just saw it for what it was. So, I mean, it was kind of interesting, the economy they were working with. As you, Tyler, were saying, this kind of lets me ease up a bit on the critique I had on the movie, given what their the time frame and the stipulations yeah. they were under. But Which so, you know, uh, you don't really. For a lot of people, we don't get to see that, and we don't know that, so we have to take the movie for what it's worth at some kind of face value. I just I mean, really, it has its faults. I'm not going to say it doesn't. I really kind of got to the point where I was like, oh yeah, that. Me and Danny mentioned this a little bit earlier. That I mean, I don't think I had seen this movie since. Like yeah, it's probably the late 90s for both of us. It's been a long time. I remembered some of the little basics of it and shit here and there and, and kind of what happened, but a lot of the particulars couldn't remember at all. So those flashes, I kept thinking in my head, like, okay, we're going to get to see more as time goes on. And we kind of get to see more when they finally do the log tape or whatever the fucking... Yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. The ship We've log. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, spills her coffee. I'm like, oh, gosh, yeah. Yeah. That part. But that, it's only like half as much as what's even alluded to in the rest of the flashes throughout the movie. At a certain point, I was like, should I just start, every time one of these flashes happen, should I just pause it so I can actually tell cool. what the fuck's going on? Like, pause it and get your Latin word, word book out. And then <laughs> go for it. Yeah. Which is, I, I thought that was kind of interesting too. It's like their use of kind of like modern technology and then still using old technology because they were still playing that. And I think the year is 2047. Mm-hmm. They're still using those old tape recorders. Play back and a CDs tape. Too. <laughs> yeah, and, and CDs. CDs. 
Yeah. So, <laughs> but they were I mean, using tablets. They were. They were. They were a little bit ahead of their that time. That was pretty sweet. Yeah. You think about it. That it was. There was one floating around. The CG one, right when they get into yeah. the ship too. That's what. I was like, eh, that's that's pretty CG. But nonetheless, speaking of 2487, I just was really happy to know that Justin. So I'm guessing he's let's say at oldest he's 27. Okay. The technician Justin was he technician? Yeah, he was. Something like that. Anyhow, yeah, he, or was, a, he was a baby bear. Man, baby bear, yeah, baby bear. Twenty. So let's say he's twenty-seven. That means in the year twenty twenty, people are still naming their kids Justin. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's true. It's <laughs> a good name. But one thing I thought was really interesting. They only had one shoot that was outside, and it was just for like, I don't know. It was just a part of uh, I think an interior shot they were trying to pull off, but they needed some of the outdoor lighting and whatnot. But most of this was done in Pinewood Studios, which is in London, and they used like seven different stages because they had to construct some pretty massive things. I mean, one of them being the gravity drive. Oh, yeah. That was built in what they call the Bond uh, Are those stage. Those rings moving? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That, all that shit was court. No, that oh, was wow. practical. All that stuff wow. was practical. So they built it in this like pit is basically what it's used for. For like, uh, it's mostly like action sequences and where you have to kind of like pan down and, you know, it's mostly done for a lot of um, almost special effects reasons. But, yeah, they constructed all that stuff on stage. Like, <laughs> even like the uh, the fireball sequence with uh, Fishburne running down that corridor. <laughs> this is kind of funny. They said when they were doing that, they were using actually like a flamethrower for one composite shot. They used like this light on a dolly to push it as another composite and just for Fishburne running. So they compiled it all together gave it that effect but when they were using that flamethrower they said because of the force of it it knocked it over and it was still shooting out flames and it caught one of like uh these silk drapes they had for whatever reasons it caught up in flames and they said then it fucking it fell forward because they had uh stuff built under the stage for lighting effects but that's where they also were keeping like the gas tanks that were powering the flamethrowers <laughs> but they said it got cut off in time but they said that was really the only snag they had as far as like that kind of stuff, which is interesting because I almost burned down the whole studio. <laughs> Small little snag. Yeah, just to get like this effect, uh, which I mean, it was pretty interesting. You can tell some of it's CG, of course, but I think they were ahead of their time. When you look back on it from the late 90s, I mean, it's hard to critique it too much now because I mean, a lot of stuff is CG. Yeah. Okay, so imagine you're first off considered smart enough to be out on a space mission anyway and then good enough and you know competent enough presumably at life to you know be sent on a rescue mission of this high value <laughs> do you need somebody to translate liberate me oh, <laughs> oh my gosh. You know, just here now like what it's, it's liberate me yeah yeah but yeah liberate to free yeah liberate um Mm. Do you really need somebody to translate that? Maybe it's 2047. Latin's kind of even, <clears throat> maybe even the clergy doesn't well, even know Latin in 2047. To but liberate. Well, you know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's very true. I was thinking that the, too. You know, two to May, May, I'm not sure about that myself. X in fairness, wasn't it? In fairness, yeah. In yeah. fairness, yeah. As in inferno. I mean, if you think about it in hindsight, yeah, okay, liberate, but, and oh, in fairness, inferno. Hell. Inferno, yeah. Okay, I got it. 
You can kind of piece it a little bit together. Yeah. You know, have but a basic knowledge. But in it clearly makes sense. But maybe if you're on a ship and this, all you hear is just gore and blood all behind it, you're not really too <clears> concerned <throat> about the Latin. Yeah, exactly. I don't know how much you're <laughs> brushing what? up. Did he just say, I think he said something about uh, free yourself. No, all I heard was just body parts getting ripped to pieces. I don't know about you. Something I do want to mention, which is we talk about this, Tyler and I do, in a lot of films because a lot of films lend their hand to their influences whatnot. So knowing that Anderson was a fan of films like Robert Wise's The Haunting, he also was a big fan of The Shining. You know, we talked about some of Stephen King's works. He was also fans of just like old cinema and then sci-fi and stuff like that. So when he was shooting certain scenes throughout, now this is kind of interesting too. I mean, you get one scene in particular with uh, Jolie Richardson where she's getting flooded by the pool of blood that comes out. I mean, that's kind of right from the elevator sequence in The Shining. They also were going to use a scene, this is kind of interesting, of Sam Neill coming down one of the ladder escapes, the uh, the spider crawl that they use in The Exorcist, they had to cut out. But just like even the bleeding of the walls are the steel structures inside the hole. Uh, he was getting that from like the Amityville Horror. So some of this, we talked about Aliens too being another one. I mean, there was a lot of homages, but that the way that they incorporate it into the film gives it also a kind of a cool narrative too. I mean, it kind of carries along the plot, if that makes sense. But just paying homage to like another thing, the whole design of the Event Horizon, the spaceship, it was designed after the Notre Dame Cathedral. Ooh. Yeah, so... Did not know that. Yeah, so there are certain scenes like... There's a scene, the medic, or the, the medical doctor, DJ, he winds up getting sliced open, mm -hmm. you know, and his entrails come out. The stained glass behind him, there's supposed to be like a triptych that you would see in the cathedral of the stained glass. There's even like coffin corridors. The shape of the corridors themselves are shaped in coffins. They designed some of the, like the medical tables and the morgue or like the uh, medical lab part of the ship after like headstone slabs and shit like that. So there was a lot of interesting ways they were incorporating these everyday things that we kind of, I won't say take for granted, but we don't pay much attention to. So uh, I guess my long spill on this is just the interesting use of practical things. Like so we talked about the, the use of practical effects, but they were also using just kind of practical things that you see every day as well. Whether or not you recognize it, it's, it's one thing. Well, that was kind of neat. I got to go through and watch it again now. Yeah, you know, that's the kind of fun, too, that I take away from watching these kind of films. You get a, an initial impression from watching it one time. And then you watch it more, you start picking up on things. And then it kind of revealed itself in a whole different manner. You know, but knowing, like I said, too, what they do in, as far as putting things into the film, I think that kind of gives it a unique bent, too. I think it's, for me, it gives me a little bit more freedom to forgive some of the bigger aspects, you know. But yeah, I think, like I said, with the use of effects, which is really neat. We talked about the wire rigging. Here's something that's kind of neat. When they're using their bodysuits, you know, to kind of, I guess, go in and out of airlocks and uh, using space and stuff like that, they have to use wire rigs. And there came a point where they were wanting to shoot this as like a zero gravity type of rescue mission. But because of the budget and because of wiring rigs takes a lot of time and effort and a lot of coordinating, they introduced the gravity boots that they use. Smart idea. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, so they no, use so that just... It's reasonable for 2047. Yeah, they, they use it as a boots. practical way of just like speeding the film up too, which is kind of neat. You talked about the uh, corpse sickle. This is kind of a neat story. One of the effects guys that was helping with the design baked a Barbie doll in one of the, the plasters 
So when they shot it and it shattered, out came a Barbie doll in the shot. And so it kind of fucked them up with the shooting and they had to do another and it takes long to build those things. So it's just stuff like that that was kind of neat. They had to cut down a lot of that stuff because this film was, like I said, so abbreviated in, in the time that they had to shoot it in. 90 minutes. Yeah, so they sort of had to, to use more like practical things. And I mean, there's certain things too that kind of, you know, you can feel where it gets kind of hammy a little bit. So as I was going through it this time, making notes, really paying attention to what was going on in the movie, there's something that jumped out at me. So once again, hadn't watched this in a while. No pun intended, right? <laughs> right. Something jumped out. And it triggered a memory from my childhood. I don't like when this is going. No, 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 not one of those. <laughs> <laughs> and I realized there was a time, oh, geez, I don't know. It probably would have been around the same time this movie came out. But you remember those, like, zoo file things? And then, oh, yeah. like, the two page, like, three ring hole punched thing, and you collect them all, and it was all information on animals from around the world. Yeah, yeah. My, my little yeah. sisters had those, yeah. So, I, I, I don't know what they were called, but I sort of ended up with some of those, except on, like, oh, some of them were, like, on unexplained phenomena, and huh. some were on, like, the current theories about time travel and shit. So physics-based like, and slightly supernatural? Slightly, su- yeah. Sort of like weird, wacky, yeah. out-there shit. That's pretty Some cool. of it actual science-based, some of it definitely like supernatural-based, but just sort of like fringe shit. I don't know what the fuck they were called, but there was one on time travel. I was reading about it, and I can't remember if this was when my aunt was still just dating the guy or if they had actually married at the time. But my uncle Chansey... I was, you know, just being a nine, ten-year-old kid and fucking... Well, this movie came out when I was ten, so I was like, ten-year-old kid, super fucking nerdy, like, no social skills, just chatting his ear off about this shit I was reading. And all the, you know, I was like, oh, yeah, and, you know, based off of a two-page flip-out book of just, like, bending space-time with black holes and this and that, and he fucking pulled out the goddamn Sam Neill explanation of the shortest distance between two points is no points at all, and even did the goddamn paper... <laughs> yeah. It just it just didn't have a naked woman on it. <laughs> partly naked. Yeah, partly naked. She wasn't naked. Yeah, she had yeah, like yeah. a gold little thing on, some little <clears throat> shiny hat. If that's what the clothes are in twenty forty seven, then ooh wee. But <laughs> I realized for surprise. <laughs> I realized he fucking pulled that out on me. He was like, oh, you know what the the shortest distance is between two points. I don't remember what point I was making that he right. brought this up in response to. <laughs> and I was just like, yeah, straight nothing. line. Yeah, yeah, and, and he's like, no, nothing, you know, no distance at all. And he did the fucking paper and everything. Now going back, I'm like, oh my god, he just watched Event Horizon like the week before. That's that's all that happened. <laughs> that's pretty. <funny. laughs> <laughs> well, from what I understand too, is like they've even used that in Interstellar when they're kind of explaining. They're using that saw it too in the previews for. Wrinkle in Time. Oh, well, there you go. The yeah. girl in there is using that same explanation, too. Yeah. So this is kind of neat that we're bringing this up, too, because they said during the filming of that, they had to explain what the fuck they were there for, what the event horizon meant, what the uh, the gravity drive was generating, the black hole. What You know, they had to explain this in layman's terms. So how did they explain that? I'm sure it was layman's terms, because he said, do fuck layman's, yeah. do you speak do you English? English? <laughs> English? Yeah, exactly. But I mean, just the use of you know the folding... This is kind of neat, too. When I was listening to the commentary, Jeremy Bolt and Anderson, they said that because of like, what they were using, just to kind of simplify it, you know, it went on to use it in other films. But in terms of, like, physicists who were working out 
like mathematics for I guess for like space and time and dimensions and stuff like that they use origami to work out the calculations <laughs> so they said unbeknownst to them they were kind of like starting a trend that's even being used now in science yeah <laughs> I just think it was kind of neat that something that's practical like that's being used for something at a higher extent this movie's ahead of its time in many ways yeah man it's pretty wild <laughs> that's pretty cool too man like isn't it just even in pop culture it's so, so simple that you can use it to <laughs> you know let's touch on a category here we're okay. talking about sam neill discussing physics yes how was sam neill's performance as this professional you know physics dude that built the event horizon <laughs> Oh yeah, that's very. I mean, this that's, is just coming off. I mean, that's Tra- his baby. Jurassic Park was what year? Ninety three. Three. Yeah. So this is he's four years later. Yeah, so he's already kind of peaked at this time, and you tell like this could be his last hurrah, which was Merlin too. I don't know if you count that as a hurrah. Dude, he's been killing it in Peaky Blinders. Well, I mean, he's well, off it now, but. But I mean, he, for a long time he hadn't really done much. Right, he was mostly right. like a character actor for the most part. Yeah. How uh, was no, he? he was. I thought he was great in this. I did too for his role. Most of these characters go down this deep, dark path once they learn what happened to the, you know, aircraft. Um, so spacecraft. <laughs> yeah, 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 there's no air, but yeah, it's it's yeah, it's a spacecraft. Things would probably be a lot easier for him if it was craft? air. The va- it could be. It could be a vacuum. <laughs> Why? Because it sucks. <laughs> Spaceballs. Here you go. <laughs> what I thought was interesting too was uh, that his character, and, like the you know, finding out that of course all that stuff was finding like their own inner hell or like it is going and and playing on this haunted theme of the spacecraft is haunted and it's revealing their darkest secrets to them or their darkest fears Mm -hmm. yeah but his portrayal (laughs) that he had to pull out i thought it was kind of endearing in some moments with his wife the flashbacks that he was having those were kind of real moments like i think the common person watching yeah exactly the humanist to him Everybody can relate to that in some extent. He kind of starts off, he has that character yes. kind of feels sympathetic for, like, oh man, look at him, he's going on this mission. Right, exactly. I don't know if he wants to be here even, based on his flashbacks, you know, he lost his wife or partner, whomever, you know. She looked good even without eyes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, exactly. Uh, you kind of feel sympathetic towards him. I, there's a point where it does change in the movie. You're like, you know yes he starts to and like so most of them start to devolve after a certain point but his goes on a whole different bent and when i first watched it like years later like a couple months ago i was like man they're really playing on like this hellraiser theme with that lament uh, configuration or at least the gravity drive well i was gonna say so i mean i would have been right alongside who was it that was bugging out at the ship was it jason isaacs he was the one that was like, uh, oh yeah, he's kind of had like all the Christian. Anyway, stuff on him, yeah. my, I mean, I would have been that fucking ship looked like it was designed to go to hell. Oh man, that thing <laughs> was well, like, that would kind of went to the architecture too. They were playing on with like the Notre Dame Cathedral had like, these really gothic themes and medieval kind of architecture. So but yeah, if I mean, you just tell me that it's supposed it. to be a ship, you know, fucking that opens up wormhole to transport across the universe and then i walk into that i'm like no no fuck you you guys built ship to go to hell this is yeah. exactly what a ship to go to hell looks like <laughs> no I mean, actually, it, was, it was pertwee uh sean pertwee his character oh, yeah he was like he would rather spend like 12 hours outside the ship oh, working yes, on yeah. it than another five seconds inside this fucking thing yeah, yeah i agree exactly i, I agree <laughs> yeah, with pertwee exactly. that looks like a hell ship <laughs> and although, it played on it too although though. dr weir seems to have some 
erotic fantasy connection with that ship because he doesn't want to let go of it. No, it's like it was his baby. He helped construct it. Yeah. And uh, it went somewhere and he kind of... Well, the the ship seems to have enough power to be able to reach out to at least one person across vast distances because even before he starts seeing his life, he has that other dream in the very beginning of the movie. Oh, the corpse is flipping in the window in the background. Mm -hmm. And it was him, right? It's hard to tell. It's so scarred up. I, I would imagine so. Like Perhaps. it's it's maybe a foreshadowing of sorts. Um, yeah, and then at the end, him, yeah. at the end, what's her name? Oh yeah, uh, Stark. It was uh, Jolie. Yeah. yeah, Jolie. She sort of starts to have the same little connection with it when they're in the escape pod yeah, portion tanks. of the the horizon. Oh yeah, yeah. She had that those visions too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it feels like it's another weird Baskin thing that we ran into, where it's oh, yeah. sort of like a weird enclosed this, time this loop. loop. Yeah, because that's kind of a part of the wormhole things, like you're bending space-time. Because almost a, a lot of the visions, especially Sam Neill's visions in the beginning of the movie, are all of the future, and all of the shit that's going to happen to them. And some of the shit, it seems that once the ship kills them, it's they're the ships. Like, it has their souls, and that's why... Like, even when they were first scanning it, it seemed like there was life forms on Mm -hmm. it because it still has the previous crew trapped. And now the ship has a crew, and so it's going to keep doing shit. (laughs) Here's something that I'm glad you're bringing up. So you're suggesting that it'll be an Event Horizon 2? I I feel like it's opened up. Like, you could do an Event Horizon 2, and it would make perfect sense. Well, that ending... Sam Neill's not in it again. Nah, I I mean, maybe, but... (laughs) Brief cameo. (laughs) Yeah. No, the cool thing, like you said, it leaves off on, like, you could extend it, because it's very open to interpretation of what happens. Now, what I liked learning about this film, too, is that initially when it was written, it was supposed to be, like, when the ship went into the black hole and, you know... It encountered an alien race on their planet, and it brought them back when it came back through. You know, that's what it was supposed to be. Was, And they were like, no, nah, this is... Alien already did that. We don't want to be another alien movie, right? So that's why they were playing more on that, like, a haunted house in space theme. So that's why they were kind of drawing those influences from, like, uh, The Shining. Because they're just in that Very house. Psychological. It's, yeah, the house, or the, the hotel, for this matter... It was preying upon fears and anxieties, and it was almost like the more it f- they were feeding it, the more it was feeding off of it, like their anxieties and whatnot. So that's kind of an interesting thing, too, about this craft, is that Lawrence Fishburne starts to realize that when he's kind of resting up against one of the columns, and he gets that flash, and he realizes that this thing is sentient. And that kind of plays back into like when they were doing the scans, they get this life reading what kind of life force are we talking about here? Which I thought was kind of neat. It opens up a whole different, no pun intended, but a whole other universe you can play with. It doesn't necessarily have to be a monster. It can be just a force of, uh, of nature, perhaps, or yeah. a different you know, dimension that is playing with these different laws. I'm not sure how much you guys know of it and would be able to contribute at all, but this movie, as I was going through it, also made me wonder how much influence it's had on the Warhammer 40K universe. Yes, that's, there's a lot of rumblings mm-hmm. about that, and because of this spacecraft. Because it's, it's very much, yeah, there's, I mean, tech priests, yeah. uh, tech priests assuaging the machine spirit of the different ships, and some ships definitely having a bit of sentience, especially after like the influence of the warp and chaos and ripping into another dimension outside of our own that is pure chaos could be 
Well, I, you, you got to think about this. We talked about this. Might not be this. that far-fetched. No, <laughs> yeah. no, I think there's a, it lends a good hand because Anderson, the director, he did Mortal Kombat, Resident Evil. Those are based off video games. Warhammer, video games. So, well, the video games for Warhammer came after the... Well, uh, that's what I'm getting at. So they felt like this was the prequel leading into that kind of stuff. So why, why well, could it have been? Yeah. You know? Well, I mean, after if, the tabletop. But. <laughs> yeah. But it's still kind of neat, you know, that... There's a, like a lot of these influences later on, like this movie lends a hand to. That's a big one with video games. So we talk about Sam Neill a bit. Mm-hmm. I was thinking Lawrence Fishburne. Oh yes. Uh, my initial thought watching this and seeing the development of his character and how he was kind of that calm-headed captain of the ship. I wouldn't say he had a breakdown, but he definitely had that moment where he was talking about his past that, that he'd never mentioned anyone else, about his mate that he had leave behind in the fire. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't call it a breakdown per se, but he's definitely having to release some information or release some inner anxiety. And I couldn't help feel that this is 97 the movie came out. Two years later, there would be The Matrix. I believe it's 99, The Matrix. So that means the filming for The Matrix probably started about 98, a year after this movie came out. His character here seems to have some resemblance of what would become Morpheus. Yeah, this it makes calm-headed, captain-like character of a group of people. I wonder if someone was watching this and decided they wanted him to be casted for Matrix. I could see that. We had mentioned, like, when we were discussing the cast and crew and some of the credits that Lawrence Fishburne yes. had. Yeah, because I'm pretty sure watching yeah. Pooey's Playhouse wouldn't give you the impression no. he'd make a good Morpheus. <laughs> Cowboy right. Curtis. Yeah. yeah. No. But no, I would imagine, like, that with his character in this film that's very calm, cool, collected, he's, you know, he's a captain of the ship, and then he plays a calm, cool, collected character of Morpheus. I was mentioning, kind of like our opening section, that he actually, Lawrence Fishburne actually called the director Anderson up to thank him for giving him training with, like, the wiring rigs they had to wear in this film, with coordination, because they had to use some of that same stuff and the Matrix with the green screen and whatnot. So in some weird way, it is kind of a, a unique trajectory, I guess, in his career. Like he plays these, I won't say typecast per se, but I would imagine because of some of these roles, these prior roles, he's getting these films. And he's known to be like a pleasure to work with on set too. So a lot of people kind of admire him for his other works. You know, these guys liked his work in Apocalypse Now and, mm-hmm. you know, all of his future films that came after that. So... Even on set, they were kind of in awe of him. And they said he was a person who usually, if you gave him like three times to do his line, he'd nail it. After that, he said he starts forgetting his lines and just got to fuck up. <laughs> this is kind of interesting because you've been mentioning Sam Neill and uh, Fishburne. Is Sam Neill's kind of the opposite. They said he's more of kind of an improvisational actor where it takes him several kind of takes to really get into his character. So... In a lot of their dialogue scenes together, you see a lot of close-up shots of both of them. They're not usually together, you know, in the same scene, doing dialogue. And that's because they couldn't do takes together. They had to shoot them separate. They said they shot it in reverse. It's like they would shoot the close-ups of Fishburne, get him in, like, his one, two, three takes, and then get Niels in his, like, fifth, sixth, seventh take. So I thought it was kind of neat. I didn't know that. But it just kind of shows, like... Yeah, it's some editing tricks they use. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty cool. Well, Morpheus might have called up the director and thanked him. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I, there was one thing that, was that I wanted to thank the director for, too. Possibly my favorite part of this movie. Just a very quick shot, but... I mean, I wanted to find a really good reason to actually like 
Paul W. S. Anderson because I do kind of dig this movie. Yeah, it's like, like I said, I, like I dig Mortal Kombat. I mean, the Resident Evil movies are fun. They're not good, but they're fun. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> I mean, they what do, do they're meant to do. A little excitement, but not going to do something to remember 50 years down the line. <laughs> and I think this movie gave me that moment that I can be like, cool, this is why I dig him. And can you give us a hint? Can we very, guess it? Uh, I don't think we're going to be able to guess okay. it. It's very, it's very subtle. subtle in the very beginning. And that's why I like this nice little subtle foreshadowing. Not just foreshadowing, but setting up of a lot of things throughout the movie, including the sci-fi aspect. And when Sam Neill first wakes up, and he's getting up, and he takes and he looks out the window of the space station he's on. And he walks down the hallway, and it's all upside down. Yeah. I love that. And I wrote it down in my notes as, first off, it reminded me of Ender's Game, The Enemy's Base is Down. Oh. And just sort of like, it's this sci-fi, like getting you set up to be like, okay, you're out in space. And especially as he looks out the window and you just keep pulling back out through the rest of the space station, and you're like, this is the world that you're living in right now. But also to the, just the foreshadowing of his character, he's upside down. Oh, I mean, uh, <laughs> come on, he's the yeah. bad guy. Like, <laughs> If a Dutch tilt sort of shows things that are off kilter, like That's... then full-on upside down is... Pure evil. It's pure evil. Yeah. And it's him waking up after that. Yeah. The nightmare. Oh, that's correct. Yeah. Straight into that. And so I liked it was very subtle foreshadowing while still establishing the sci-fi that they were living in. I thought it was beautiful. It immediately jumped out to me. Like I said, remind me, enemies bases down, which huge sci-fi touchstone. So. Nice, man. <clears throat> what I kind of like, too, to talk about maybe just a little bit. You can't help but talk about a lot of the effects in the film, too, but some of the things, like the scenes that I liked, and it reminded me of another film we had mentioned, too, was like the cube, when they're inside the ducts, and they have the, this computer circuitry, and he's going in to fix a fucking fuse. <laughs> Let's not forget that, right? <laughs> a fuse, of which there seems to be millions in that room. Yeah, and he pinpoints that one, right? So, I mean, that's well, kind so of a... smoking. Yeah. I'll, it's, I'll give him some credit. It is kind of a funny ploy, but <laughs> what I liked about that, too, is in a moment where, like, it's kind of like, all right... It's kind of neat, like, I guess the color tones that they're using, it's a lot of, like, sepia and a lot of greens, a lot of cyan, stuff like that. They said they, they did that on purpose to give it kind of a rustic feel as well. They didn't want it to be too modern, hence some of, like, the alien Which influence. Which is why he's, yeah. why he's surrounded by circuitry. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> go figure, right? We can't have this too modern. But also what I like, too, is, like, when it pulled you in like that, it also took we you out. We just got to make it Tronny. <laughs> Yeah, I kind of oh, a little drawny. Keep in yeah. mind, it may be 2047, yeah. but that ship was built, I think, in 2040. Right. Yeah, yeah so yeah. let's so not forget that. Maybe in those last seven years, there was a big advancement that the ship just never saw. Isn't that like part of, is it Murphy's Law? Like, our laws of seven? can't go wrong, will go wrong. <laughs> that That's and, Murphy. yeah, and then there's like laws of seven with technology. Maybe. Like, every seven years, it precedes another generation. Anyhow. In that case, then it makes perfect sense. Yeah. But yeah, circuitry. But no, what I liked about that is like, in that moment, too, where they're playing on the fears and they're incorporating, you were talking about those islands, is they said a lot of the effects, the CG, because we've been kind of leaning on that a little bit too, they weren't using it to like substitute practical effect. They were doing it to enhance those effects. So initially they wanted those eyes to be white for his wife. They chose black. And the way they did that is they built those prosthetic lenses in her eyes. And they shot like almost like what we do sometimes with green screen, kind of fill in that stuff. So that was kind of neat, and some of that kind of goes back to when they first go inside the spacecraft. There's a lot of that floating debris. One of them is 
the actual autobiography of the director, Anderson. <laughs> he used that as like to make fun of himself. There's also like a watch that floats by. Yeah. And that watch is modeled after uh, Buzz Aldrin and I think, is it Glenn? That walked on the moon. So they modeled that watch after. So they were kind of doing just like these, all throughout the fucking film, all these neat little homages, even some of the CG aspects of it, which I thought was kind of neat. But like I said, overall, just knowing that all that stuff they had to pull off and, you know, I thought they, it still was kind of yeah, cheesy in some parts, but it was still kind of neat. Like I said, all those homages they were paying. So I say, uh, with how closely this film relates to Hellraiser, oh, man, give us right. Event Horizon 2 as done by the Baskin guys. That would be fucking gnarly. <laughs> you know, we talked about a little exploitation. Like, we were just watching a little bit of uh, Helsing. Helsing, which is kind of like exploitation oh turned gosh. to 11. I was thinking what they could have done like in an animated form of Event Horizon with the exploitation part of like the hell sequences. Because those were pretty gnarly, even like the cut sequences. They said that they shot a lot of that in the weekends. You said there's there's more that were going to show, but they... oh yeah. So what they had to do because of that, it's like so the original <laughs> cut of the so the cut of the movie. Did they is show like, that in the five hour special, all of it. Not not necessarily, but they do do talk yeah. about it. So they thought that a lot of the footage was lost for a long time. Some of it was never shot, but some of it was definitely shot because it was shown to like test audiences yeah. and stuff. But when they got rid of it, a lot of it was just like completely destroyed unfortunately yeah they kept it in weird spots like some of their i guess their negatives and whatnot but apparently a few years ago they found some of it more that more or less restores it all but the film is deteriorated to the point where we might not ever get a transfer yeah they said oh this is almost like what we went on in the real ship you're trying to undo the law and clear it up you might have that actual problem that's what it was which is kind of ironic in a sense because they were using cds and stuff but they said at the time of filming they weren't storing a lot of the backup on like those kind of files you know or that media and so like i said a lot of it got destroyed now the the shit that we didn't see was the stuff that was earning it an NC-17. Apparently I, I, made some audience members faint during yeah. the test screenings. Cool. There's a funny thing. Uh, they sounds used... like, based on some of the things that was, you can see within the clips I already showed, it looks like it may have been more sexual. Like, uh, it was, I remember seeing some of the scenes this time around being like, I think there's stuff they cut out that was they just hired, done. They hired real amputees for the simulated torture Whoa. and porn stars for the simulated rape. I guess I was sensing something in that direction. Yeah, I sensed right. That's pretty gnarly. <laughs> was, it, was it Stormy Daniels? They, <laughs> it could have been. Choking uh, on a cheetah. <laughs> oh, God. That'd be a whole different hell sequence. Uh, That's the hell sequence we're living in. <laughs> know what they were doing with that, too. Like you said, they were scenes of like this dude getting pegged with a metal pipe by a chick. You see the scene of like the guy putting his... Hand, yeah, yeah, in pulling out his entrails, essentially throwing them up. They, they said that what they were doing is when they finished up the main shooting, the second unit were filming like weekend shots of all that stuff. So they said, well, while we were wrapping up and we were doing the editing so we can get this shit in to test, we were also filming this on the weekends. And they said they did that for like 45 seconds of usable clip. They shot like almost two, three weeks of that stuff. <laughs> what? Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's Basically, like, damn, they like put a lot of thought into it. a lot of fun and then they're just yeah. like, oh, we better just... It's like, we got $60 million. We do have a weekends open. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was kind of gnarly because that was those scenes that did garner them that NC-17 rating, but a lot of it was supposed to show you kind of like that lead up to the initial crews, like their 
what fucked them up if essentially is like their experience with hell and etc i guess most of it was that doing it to each other them doing yeah. it to each other yeah exactly it was just too much like i said they said with the test audiences it was pulling them too much out of the film like a lot of them were like they couldn't even get on it after that like that was enough to just distract them from the entire film well hopefully they signed a waiver you know mental <laughs> right. stress not responsible i'm just hoping with you know as technology chugs along Maybe we will get a copy someday. There's Maybe a possibility. we'll be able to restore it. And then we'll find out it really was Stormy Daniels. Right. Oh my <laughs> gosh, man. But you're right. He did want to do a director's cut. And he. what happened was is they gave him 10 weeks in like post-production to wrap everything up. That included like the additional CG for visual aspects and just cleaning and polishing shit up. He said, so he agreed. Instead of them giving them uh, like 10 weeks, I think that's initially what you get, they reduced it down to six weeks. And the two weeks of that was like filming additional just cleanup sequences and whatnot. So you only had really a month to completely finish the project. And that's why some of the pacing towards the end, they said for like a lot of people don't like the third act because it's kind of feels a little rushed and a little, I don't know, just it's different than how it leads into that climax of the film. Like there's a long kind of narrative and then boom, you're just kind of thrust into it. All of a sudden, they said that felt like that was kind of rushed. And a lot of that might have been the, the studio. Because they did get it kind of involved. Like, they wanted that shit to get out to the summer. Like, they needed it in 10 months. So, anyhow, that's kind of like my two cents on that. Yeah, I don't know. I fucking, I really enjoyed having to watch this movie again. That's, I did. It was, it was a good uh, recommendation. I guess without learning too much. Uh, there's one thing I did mention. I said there was a movie that used a practical effect that we covered. And being that your name is Justin, the oh. character Justin... When he's inside that airlock, you see his veins pulsate. Oh my god, is that from Scanners? Well, that's a funny thing is, is like, how can it not be? They didn't ever mention that. Like, any of the commentaries, even when they use it, like, oh yeah, we used these rubber hoses, blew it with pneumatics, air, and then pumped out blood. And I was like, hold on, man. I was like, that was Dick Smith's invention, <laughs> in which we did Scanners. And that was like the first film that introduced that kind of practical effects. He was known as the Godfather effects. I mean, he did stuff like with The Exorcist and all that shit. So anyhow, it's like, man, come on now. <laughs> Dude, Ironside's been on ER when I've been watching it. So yeah. It's so good. Yeah. I did like, uh, speaking of that real quick, is you see like his eyes start to bleed and he, he slings the blood. They said what they did to pull that off, the blood coming out. They actually put like these little air tubes at the butt of his fingertips. And they just squirt the blood out when he was moving. Mm. Yeah. So, so. It, was like trick- so it looked like it was trickling off of his fingers. Yeah, and he could squirt it out of his eyes, too. Yeah. just kind of slinging it. They were pumping it out. Yeah, so I was like, oh, shit, that's pretty cool. So a lot of that was practical effects, right. too. Yeah. Well, some of that blood was definitely not practical Oh, I mean, not all sex. of it. No, no, no. Uh, I was about to say, that blood reminded me, you guys probably never watched the deleted scenes on Blade. I haven't. <laughs> no. no, I have not. So originally at the end of Blade, Deacon Frost wasn't supposed to just like turn into a superpowered version of himself. He was supposed to turn into a cyclone of blood. Oh, I did. Oh. They never finished the effects on it, but they got to a rudimentary stage, and you can watch that alternate scene on the DVD special features, and that's what that blood looked like. That's really he cool. was a cyclone of that blood. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. Like I said, having you on board because you did recommend it. It was a fun film. It's a really cool sci-fi horror that kind of either gets really overlooked, you know, in a lot of regards because it came out in this time period and this is kind of a transitional stage. I think it's one worth definitely checking out, man, even if you're on the fringes. Yeah. It's short. It's only 90 minutes. Yeah. There's not many things out there that can remind me of some 40K 
and I'm pretty sure that they went into the warp, and that explains everything that happens in this movie oh, to me. So, Total sense, yeah. Uh, that makes me happy. It also <laughs> reminds me of a really good Doctor Who episode, The Satan Pit. The Impossible Planet, Oh, Satan you know what? Pit. Yeah, some of this was kind of like... I think even Sam Neill's character, like... Him sitting in the, like the uh, captain seat and just being fucking weird. <laughs> you know? I, I think they were paying homage to that in Doctor Who. Yeah. So I mean, if you can remind me of those two great sci-fi things that I really get down on and some good grim dark with 40k, I'm always going to be all about it. Sam Neill and Morpheus are just bonuses. I yeah. just I just wish that one day we get some more of that gore that they were kind of promising. Well, maybe by 2047. It's or if we get a sequel, it does leave it as a sequel. We could get a sequel the way they there leave is. it. There's a lot of that open interpretation. Where ships, you, the ship's still there. I mean, somewhere it's behind still... Neptune. At least it's not, you know, somewhere behind Uranus. So if the sh- <laughs> <laughs> got him. But okay, so if the ship is now alive, right. What if it's just like a starfish? When you cut it, that it's still now it's just two different evil like, entities, like Bebe's kids. So you're saying that ship they brought, they brought a chunk back with them that they're yeah. in. Yeah. Well, like, yeah, you're, you're right on that. They could, wow. And then eventually that other one could s- still pop back out of the gravity again. Oh, true. It can it still has the uh, gravity drive there. Mm-hmm. I think the neat thing was like the only person I don't th- feel like was affected by it was uh, Richard T. Jones, man. Like he was out in space. He just came back. They helped him. And then everybody and else got touched by the darkness. he's not all fucked up at and the end. Like show, and yeah. they never show many visions because he may not have had any visions. Wait, wait, wait. He was, he was the Christian guy, so, wasn't he? Like the really religious guy? Is this the movie where the black guy lives? Uh, it is. Wait, I think it is. <laughs> he, not only is he not the first to go. The, he saves everyone's ass. He saves everyone's ass and he lives? Yeah. Wow. Way to go, Event Horizon. <laughs> progressive. It's very time. progressive. <laughs> well, even like their the use of the costumes, they use their uh, country badges, and a lot of them were modified to kind of represent the times. I think with Sam Neill's, they said that like, uh, it's supposed to be the Union Jack of Australia, but they also incorporated the Aboriginal, mm-hmm. uh, like their sign. So they were trying to keep up with the modern times even then. I don't know how progressive they were thinking about saving Richard T. Jones at the end, but maybe. They knew that he had to go off and be on Judging Amy, so... <laughs> <laughs> I think that's pretty cool, man. But yeah, this film is a lot of fun, man. Even like learning all the stuff behind the scenes and what went into it. A lot of the actors themselves, they they came away with the sense like they did a really good job. They had a lot of fun. It was an interesting project because of a lot of the elements they were using. Some of the people had never done it before. Like Jolie, they said this is the first film that she actually was like in action sequences. So they like, yeah, we got to throw around a little bit, rough her up. And pour like a hundred gallons of blood on her, <laughs> you know. They talked about stuff like that, and uh, like Kathleen Quinlan, who plays Peters, they said they liked her a lot because a lot of her her character was actually based on like her real life. She just had a son, so she had to go from like being from the states to coming over to England to shoot. So she incorporated a lot of the feelings into her character, and the use of her eyes to give you like these, I guess, sense of fright, like these frightening moments. So she uses a lot of her. Just, I guess, like her facial features to incorporate this sense of dread because otherwise it's just the score that ratchets up that sense of dread. They even mentioned that. It's like you cut the music out and it's not really scary. <laughs> that goes for most horror films in general. Very true. Music's very important. I'm not being biased here. I'm just <laughs> but saying. no, I mean, we're talking about this a lot. Yeah. Yeah, very important. That's like watching Can't The Shining. It wasn't important. really scary. It was more kind of funny. <laughs> but it was, that was a lot of fun. 
Shit. Well, I think that's about all I have to say about yeah, this no, movie I this mean, week. What I'd about you guys? I just want to thank both of you again for the invitation to come over here and have a discussion oh, about shit, a movie that definitely... At uh, some point, you're going to have to come back on and we're going to have to do a, a commentary, as we promised the fans, with you and Patrick involved. Oh, so, oh yeah. There'll be another one. So we'll figure out a movie that you guys can come commentate and talk over with us it's on. It's got to be a horror film? Hmm. We'll figure out I'm something. Excited. Maybe something I haven't seen. That'd be good. Ooh, ooh. We're open to that. See, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it because I had another <laughs> idea. Uh, but in order to keep listening to us as we move into, I believe we decided earlier on yeah. Dog Soldiers next week. That's going to be a lot of fun, dude, because it includes a cast member from this film. Oh, yeah. Good old Pertwee's going to carry over, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, dude. That's going to be fun. I want to see the connection now. And it's going to be our first werewolf movie? It is, actually. We've waited a long time to talk we've about werewolves. We've waited a long goddamn time to talk about werewolves. Well, we, we've talked about werewolves. We just never really got in depth with them. Well, we're going to do that with some dog soldiers. And in order to keep listening to us as we do that, please hit subscribe on whatever you're currently listening to us on. If you don't like what you're listening to us on, go to our website, friedsquirms.com. There's links up at the top to the most popular players. If you don't use one of those... I mean, just search for us on whatever you do use us, and we're probably there. Yeah, we, we even have a streaming uh, service at the bottom. So yeah, go to our website. You can always stream up, us yeah. at the bottom. Email us at squirmcast at gmail.com. Or, I mean... You can at least... Yeah, you can leave us a message on our website as well. Or check out our Facebook. Facebook, the Twitters. Or the Instagram. Yeah. Uh, Fried Squirms Podcast. Twitter is at Fried Squirms. And if you do use the iTunes and Apple Podcasts and stuff, we would very much appreciate it if you'd re- leave us a review. It turns out I've been doing some reading, and that shit actually does help and make a difference. So yeah. if you would review us and leave us a rating, that would be super, super cool. Yeah, let us know what you like, <laughs> what you don't like. Recommendations. Yeah, we, I look forward to you know some more episodes, see what the hell we get into. Some nasties, some goodies. Oh, yeah, we do. Oh, we got some nasties. We've been talking about some nasties. <laughs> goodies. Oh, we've talked about some a, goodies. I mean, there's a lot of uh, both of that. That's the fun of this, John. Uh, we've talked about so more nasty, guests coming. Yeah. We've got more guests so coming nasty, planned right? for this year. <laughs> yeah, uh, we do. All sorts of fun times. So please stick with us. But for this week, I'm Tyler. I'm Danny. And I'm Justin. Fried Squirms. Out. out.